Welcome to Faith and Family, a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. And now from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood and welcome to Faith and Family. Thank you for joining us in our family Bible study in the Gospel of Matthew, the Gospel that's being read this year in Masses. And this episode, we're in Matthew chapter 4, and it's the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. But we're not going to just leave Matthew chapter 4 in the wilderness. We're going to try to bring it home into our lives and meet immediate needs in our lives for today. So I'm uh, entitling this episode, Countering Temptation. And just to give everything away right up front, we're supposed to be like Jesus, okay? And that's what being a Christian is all about, being Christ-like. Matthew 4, Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And he fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterward he was hungry. And the tempter came to him, if you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he, Jesus, answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up to a high city, put him on a pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written. Now, Satan is quoting Scripture. He will give his angels charge over you, and Jesus knew this isn't what's supposed to happen. So in verse 7, it says, Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. Now, there's a lot going on in this chapter, and the various strategies that Satan is using against Jesus I'll leave to somebody else because today our focus is on Jesus and how he countered the temptations thrust against him by the devil himself. And the relevance of this, in my estimation, couldn't be higher in our day. I've said to some friends, you know, I would really find it extremely challenging to be a young man in today's world. I mean, it is simply overflowing with temptations. And even to be an older man or woman, um, I'm thinking of the World Wide Web. And when I say the World Wide Web in my mind, kind of a little bit of a spider web. The World Wide Web of temptations, just one huge thing that's leading people astray into temptations. But there's so many other things. And so what we want to do is extract from Matthew 4 what we need to do today to be successful in facing and being surrounded by temptations. First off, in verse 2, it says that Jesus spent 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness. If you remember way back the last episode, 
what was Matthew trying to do in the entire Gospel of Matthew by organizing the teachings of Jesus into five different sections? Well, a big hint was he was writing to Jews primarily. This was an early gospel, and he wanted to reflect Jesus as the new Moses, just as Moses wrote the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. Now, Jesus is the new Moses. And guess what it says way back about Moses in Exodus 24? It says, and Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights, receiving the Ten Commandments. What does Matthew 4 say? And Jesus was in the wilderness 40 days and 40 nights, the exact same wording as for Moses. Why? Jesus is the new Moses, not the same Moses, the new Moses. Now, it is so important to look at Matthew 24 to find an exceedingly important message, especially in our day, and what is the prime way temptations are countered. And I'll go ahead and just share this right up front it boggles my mind that so many Catholics ignore this. Even though this is read and honored in Mass, uh, we hear Matthew 4 presented to us, we hear talks on Jesus's temptation, but then, you know, do we leave all this in the wilderness or do we bring it forward to the wilderness in our day? And the point what is going on in Matthew chapter 4 is that three times the devil comes at Jesus, and three times Jesus counters this temptation and spiritual attack by saying, it is written. And it was basically an appeal to various scriptures in the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy. But the prime way, the Son of God, Jesus, our Savior and Lord, the one whose life we're supposed to imitate, so often we don't imitate when we want to have the strength to counter temptation. And this isn't just found in Matthew chapter 4, because you find, for instance, in the, the Psalms, and the Psalms are so good for forming our minds and our lives uh, in a true spiritual manner, and one of the special psalms in the whole book of Psalms is Psalm 119. It's the longest chapter in the whole Bible. About every eight verses begins with a subsequent letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So it's trying to show you A to Z, the perfections of the scriptures. And here are three critical scriptures in Psalm 119 talking about the goodness of God's word that go right along with Matthew chapter four. If you're a parent and you wanna disciple your children to withstand and counter the temptations of the 21st century, pay attention to what Jesus did in the first century. And Jesus was a faithful son of Israel. He was following what a faithful Jew should do. Psalm 119 verse 11, I have laid up thy word in my heart that I might not sin against thee. And I might say, uh, you know, Jesus didn't even look these up. 
he had them already in his heart and had them ready and used them to counter what Satan was coming at him with. Again, Psalm 119, how can a young man keep his way pure? To me, this is one of the supreme questions that every parent in the 21st century should be asking. How can we help our young men remain pure? And what does it say? By guarding it according to thy word. And it's again, it's somewhat amazing to me. There are so many good, very good, secondary ways to lead a solid Christian life, a pure life, but you can't let these things distract us from the primary way. Why do I say the primary way? It's not because I picked it. It's because what Jesus did. And the idea is we don't just read about Jesus. We live like Jesus and ask his life to live through us. A third scripture from Psalm 119, this time from verse 101. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep thy word. And where does this come from? It comes from the perhaps the most important passage in the Old Testament for the Old Testament Jewish person. And remember, Jesus is the fulfillment of everything written back there. It's from Deuteronomy chapter 6, starting in verse 4, begins with the verb, the command, to hear. Hear, O Israel. And in, and in Hebrew, to hear is Shema. This is the great Shema. This is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And then what's a great way to develop that love for God with all your heart, soul, and mind? What's a great way to keep that love for God with all your heart, soul, and mind? And what's a great way to keep that against temptation? Well, it's the next verse. And these words, which I command you this day, shall be upon your heart heart. I'm not dancing around. You don't have to wait till the end of this broadcast to find out what it's about. It's putting God's Word in your life, and not something that's just abstract out there, but try to get into a physical situation, a time of day, and a, 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 an attitude of mind. Maybe just get up and before your head gets too clouded with this and that, put God's Word in your heart. Now, anybody, talk to any priest who hears confessions. What's going on today? It's just, you know, temptations are overwhelming Christians, especially young Christians, especially young Christian men. And let me tell you something, just point blank, not everybody's going to like to hear this, but the prime way to counter temptation is not using a religious textbook. Am I against religious textbooks? No, of course not. The way to counter temptation is not a good book or booklet on the virtues. Am I against the virtues? No, I'm not against the virtues, but it's not the primary way. Uh, The way to counter temptations is not studying ancient Greek philosophers. Am I against studying ancient Greek philosophers? No, I am not, but it's not the primary way. Uh, And this is really getting there, but... uh, It's not even studying the catechism of the Catholic Church. 
I liked Catechism of the Catholic Church. My companion broadcast Luke 21. I'm going through the prophetic sections of the Catechism of the Catholic Church, but it's not the primary way. <laughs> we have books, but it's the book. It's the book that we have to keep us alive with Christ. This is the primary way and according to Deuteronomy 6, which is part of the scriptures that Jesus was looking to to counter uh, Satan, it's putting God's word in our heart is the way to keep the love of God in our heart. And that's what gets us through not only ancient Israel, not only in first century direct attack by Satan with three attacks against Jesus, but the 21st century as well. And you know, there's a really false dichotomy going on. People say, well, Scripture stuff, yeah, that's for evangelicals. Us Catholics, we have the catechism, we have the virtues, we have the saint stories, we have philosophy, we have literature, we have private revelations. You might say, well, all that stuff's good, but it's secondary. And if it invades the primary means to counter temptation, it's not being used properly. And we're not winning the battle right now. And part of that is because we've lost sight of what the primary way that Jesus himself used, the Old Testament declares, and you know the whole idea is we follow in the footsteps of Christ. And you know, uh, if somebody makes a private revelation, it's like, whoa, that's why we have the internet. Listen to what prophet Jeremiah said about that. This is Jeremiah 23, verse 28. Let the prophet who has a dream, that's private revelation, tell the dream. But let him who has my word speak my word faithfully. For what does straw, private revelation, have in common with wheat, says the Lord? This is God's opinion, not Steve Woods. This is what God is saying. Is not my word like fire, says the Lord, like a hammer which breaks the rock in pieces? And I don't know about you, but I got sometimes rocks uh, sneaking into my heart. And the word of God is kind of a, a wake-up call to break up the tough ground. And this one is really important. This is 2 Timothy 3.16, where St. Paul says, All Scripture is inspired by God. And in the Greek, that word inspired is a compound word, meaning God breathed to inspire. And if you would picture this, there's actually a, a literal picture of this way back in Genesis. In Genesis 2, what? God makes Adam, and then he's not all there and then it says he breathed in him the breath of life, and he became a living being. And if you want to move from being a stump on the log Christian to a lively Christian, it's scripture is inspired. It's the exact life-giving breath of God coming into us. And again, all the fine things I mentioned, the different books and this and that, um, they're great, but they're not God-breathed. They're talking about maybe the book, but the book itself is the way this comes. So 
what happens when God breathes into you? And again, we're looking at overcoming and countering temptation in the 21st century. Well, there is an organization called the Center for Bible Engagement, and they hired a professional medical researcher. He had actually finished up his career, uh, a very rigorous, uh, very well, highly qualified medical researcher, and they asked him to do some research about what's going on in people's lives with particularly temptation and also what could counter that. This study interviewed and surveyed 100,000 Christians. It's perhaps the largest survey of Christians in the past 2,000 years, okay? There's really been not, nothing like this that I'm aware of. And first, we want to find out what, what situation, and I want to speak about Christian men today, um, what's their situation with temptation? And so they asked the question, how often are Christian men, Christian men, tempted to do something wrong? And the reply was 342 days a year, or 94 of the days in a year. In other words, almost all the time, okay? So that's how often. Then the question is, well, okay, well, what are the temptations for men that are going on, on average, 342 days a year? And again, this is a study of 100,000 people. And the most frequent temptations for men were related to sex and those temptations related to sex are 10 times higher than any other temptation for men, okay? And it's no secret, it, it, people kind of whispered about it uh, maybe a decade or so ago, but no longer, the, you know, people know that there's a major extensive use of pornography in our society and generally, the younger you are, a younger man, college-age man, you get down into teens, and this is getting down, way down, the use and exposure to pornography. It's a major struggle for millions, millions, tens of millions of Christian men. It's, in a way, it's almost unprecedented. So the Center for Biblical Engagement asked the question, what happens if a Christian man Obviously, uh, countering temptation, okay, what really helps him? And what happens if he engages at least four times a week, four or more times a week, in a meaningful engagement with Scripture? Not just like saying, you know, I'm going to rush through something, but, you know, allowing it to come into his life and heart. Well, the statistical probability of engaging in pornography is 51% lower for a Christian man who listens or reads the Bible in a meaningful way four or more times a week. Now, I was one of the first, I believe, in the Catholic circles to publish, at least in the modern world, about what the struggles of Christian men in pornography. I am not aware of anything. You'll hear a lot of anecdotal uh, testimonies, but a survey of 100,000 and saying this will cut the probability of a Christian man viewing pornography in half. And I'm not aware of 
anything that can do that. And just so, by the way, if uh, you engage with the scriptures three or more times a week, or, or no, three times a week or two times a week, it makes no difference in like you never read the Bible at all. I don't know why that is other than four times a week. And if you're going to hit four, you better shoot for five or six because things happen. Kids get sick and, you know, have flat tires and who knows whatever else. So, you know, plan on more than four and at least hit four. And that's that regular thing that Deuteronomy 6 was talking about, the regular impression upon the heart. And it's not just pornography. What about drunkenness? Because that is still a sin. Drunkenness is still a mortal sin. It's not a joke. It's a sin, okay? And the temptation to get drunk is 49% lower for those who engage with Scripture four or more times a week. How about sex outside of marriage? Widespread problem today. Widespread amongst Christians. It's 51% lower for men who engage with the Scriptures four or more times a week. 49% for drunkenness, 51% for sex outside marriage, 51% lower for pornography. Well, this isn't a cure-all. I'm not promising a cure-all, but I know of nothing else that remotely approaches this, okay? You have a lot of fine publishers claiming all kinds of wonderful things for everything, but the best publisher is God himself in giving the scriptures to men and handed down through the Jews and then the apostles and, and then through the gift of the Catholic Church to the whole world, preserving the scriptures from the apostles to today, and we, we are just so foolish, foolish to ignore the primary way to counter temptation. Now, I need to mention something. Barna, the Barna Group that does Christian polling, found out, and these are actually two different studies, but I, I read Barna's studies quite a bit, and they found that Catholics were 38% less likely to read the Bible than the average American, okay? And then in another study, they found that Catholics were twice as likely to view pornography. In fact, when I first read that, I was just like astonished. I actually contacted first person in the Barna organization. I just said, I just, I'm a Catholic and I help men struggling with the temptations to pornography and this and that. I just want to make sure that this wasn't an error or I read it the wrong way or something. No, he said, no, twice as likely. Yet 38% less likely to read the Bible. Do you see a little pattern here of maybe a major adjustment could be made by a tsunami of pornography addictions in the Catholic Church. And just so you know, we offer scripture memory cards, and we could never reprint them, but while they're available for the price we're asking, just a few bucks. And then I have booklets for young men and married men. Married men's version is breaking free. The young man's version is young men breaking free. And one of the key aspects of this booklet, even though some people have kind of lifted some of the things I wrote in the first part and didn't acknowledge it, the second part is being ignored, and the second part are scriptures. Scriptures for your pure minds, part of that booklet. And they weren't put in there to fill up pages. I consider that as a gold mine at the end of my writing, which is fallible, but the scriptures are infallible. And now I need to mention something really strong, okay? And uh, 
this time of year, we're approaching Lent, and it's real easy to get cranked up. And if you're struggling and with temptations, you're being overwhelmed with temptations and being overcome with temptations, to follow the advice of kind of the extreme ascetical practices with extreme effort doing it versus allowing the Word of God to grow and nurture in your heart. In Colossians chapter 2, St. Paul writes about man-made religion. It says, with Christ you die to the elemental spirits of the universe. Why do you live as if you still belong to the world? Why do you live as if you're a non-Christian? Because self-effort religious practices are non-Christian. They have nothing to do with Christianity. Even though they're religious, they're not Christian. And he goes, why do you submit to regulations? Don't handle, don't taste, don't touch according to human precepts and doctrines. That's man-made religion. And now here's the important one. And listen, any man struggling with this stuff, Colossians 2.23, Colossians 2, verse 23, these indeed have an appearance of wisdom. Hey, they look like the path to overcome temptation, and there's organizations promoting these things. These have an appearance of wisdom in promoting rigor of devotion and self-abasement and severity to the body, but they are of no value in checking the indulgence of the flesh. No value. In fact, one commentary says, Paul is trying to say, apart from Christ, all these rigorous activities in themselves can't check the human inclination to sin since they basically leave pride intact. If you're doing the religious work, and even worse, if you're showing off about it, that pride is increasing, and the pride is the problem, not the solution, and it leaves the pride intact or increases it, and it's like a big boomerang. You go through all this stuff, and it comes back and knocks you down. These things have an appearance of wisdom. The Ignatius Study Bible says these things are not wrong in themselves, but without grace, asceticism cannot restrain the selfish urges. So what do you do during Lent? Cold showers, extreme rigors, uh, well, I'll just leave it at that. I would recommend what Jesus did, the Word of God in your heart. I'm Steve Wood, your host, and you've been listening to episode 429 of Faith and Family. Faith and Family is a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. Visit us online at dads.org.